Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. It's bangthebook.com's MLB betting podcast for Thursday, July 30th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. This and every edition of the Betters Box presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the Sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. Daily Picks and Tips article goes up every day at bangthebook.com. Off to a nice start with the picks in that article. Gotten a lot of positive feedback about the information that I use, the information that I share in that article as well. It is a much different way of handicapping baseball than you're probably going to find anywhere else. So even if you don't want to back the picks or follow the picks or fade the picks, just go over there, check out that information, see if it resonates with you and... You know, like I said, it's a very different way of handicapping, in particular the starting pitchers, some very good information that I share in that daily article, and I very much encourage you to check that out. Wrote up some stuff yesterday afternoon on the NHL qualifying round series, some quick preview thoughts, my thoughts on who I think will win those, those start here on Saturday. So the NBA gets underway tonight, happy NBA day, by the way, then the NHL gets underway on Saturday Major League Baseball, outside of this whole fiasco with the Marlins, seems to be going off pretty well at this point in time. So hopefully the leagues have put enough safeguards and protocols and precautions in place for us to be able to have some uh, meaningful pro sports action here over the next several weeks as things do get very, very busy for us over at bangthebook.com. And even though NBA, NHL, and MLB are getting ready or are going or are getting ready to go here, We're still covering UFC, NASCAR, UFC, or uh, golf, all sorts of stuff. we got tons of things going on over at bangthebook.com. I guess I could really shorten the intro and just say, go to the website and check out everything that we have to offer, including sportsbook reviews. we got betting tools. we got some static content that tells you how to bet, things to look for when betting, all that. Plenty of stuff going on over at the website, as always. All right, so we'll start with a look beyond the box score. I'll give you some early stats. Recap some series that just finished up. Then I'll go down the lines, give you some thoughts on some line moves that we saw here in the early part of the week. I'll give you a pick for Thursday night, and I'll preview four series coming up here for the weekend with some things that I'm kind of looking for a little bit here. And I do think that series betting is a good opportunity for you. I saw something like the Twins minus 140 or minus 130 against the Indians for this four-game series. Series betting is something I think you can take advantage of, and I do try to give you some of those thoughts as I preview upcoming games here on the show. But we'll start with a tweet from Mike Petrello, who is with MLB Advanced Media in the StatCast department. And this was a perfect tweet last night to sum up the reasons why I look so heavily at these contact metrics. So he put one of his researchers on this job, to find out what the win percentage is for MLB teams dating back to 2015 when StatCast was officially launched, looking at exit velocity, hard hit percentage, and barrel percentage. So what we're looking at here is we're looking at teams that make a lot of quality contact and the impact that it has. So I guess it's actually higher exit velocity, more hard hit balls, and more barrel rates. So it's not actually percentages. uh, It's just the raw number of those types of things here. 
But the teams with the higher exit velocity in a game have a win percentage of 604. So that's 60.4% of the time they win the game just by virtue of making higher exit velocity contact. Now, if you have more hard hit balls, and hard hit balls are defined as 95 plus mile per hour batted balls, the team that has more hard hit balls has a 715 win percentage. So 71.5% of the time, they're winning those games. Finally, the team with more barrels in a game. Now, barreled balls are based on exit velocity and launch angle. They're batted balls that have an expected batting average of 500 or higher and at least a 1.500 slugging percentage. So these are going to be absolute rocket shot singles, or more often than not, they're going to be doubles, triples, and home runs. So when we talk about barreled balls, we're talking about really, really high-quality contact. The teams that have more barrels in a game have won 77.4% of the time. So again, what we're looking at here is that Hard contact is a good thing when you hit it, and it's a bad thing when you give it up. So I take a lot of time to look at these contact metrics and try to figure that out in the course of a given game. Which team is going to make more hard contact? Which team is going to have more success on those balls in play? Or is at least expected to have more success on those balls in play? The more hard contact the better off a team's offensive chances are going to be. And when you talk about hard-hit balls, 95-plus-mile-per-hour batted balls, last year, batted balls of 95-plus-miles per hour had a 540 batting average and a 1.124 slugging percentage. So, again, this is a big part of the handicapping equation for me. It is something that I feel like does give me an edge out there in the betting markets, and we see that, there is a correlation between contact quality and win percentage. So that is something I factor a lot into my handicapping and something that hopefully, as we continue to go forward here, will benefit us quite a bit. Now, as we look at league performance here to this point, the league batting average is just 229, 312 on base, 394 slugging percentage, a 310 WOBA here through about a week's worth of games. A 24% strikeout rate, 9.4% walk rate. Now, when I looked at these numbers on Monday, it was a 231 average, a 314 on base, and a 392 slugging percentage, 22.9% strikeout rate, walk rate was the same. So, so far here since Monday, we've seen more strikeouts, the walk rate's the same, but the contact quality is still not there. And... One of the things I wanted to try and figure out here for today's show is, is it the baseball? Do we have a different baseball here this season, or is it the hitters? So what I did was I compared July 23rd to 29th of 2019 to July 23rd to 29th of 2020. So far, the average exit velocity for the the seven days this season, July 23rd to 29th, 87.5 miles per hour. Last year, in that same sample size, 88.6 miles per hour. The average fly ball distance in 2020, 168 feet. The average fly ball distance in 2019, 177 feet. The average launch angle for this season so far, 
13.6 degrees. The average launch angle in 2019, 13.9 degrees. So we do have some modest differences here, especially in the exit velocity department, a full mile per hour plus lower this season than for the same time frame last season. Now, this is not a perfect comparison by any means. The middle of last year, everybody was in midseason form. The hitters were in midseason form. The pitchers were in midseason form as well. So hitters right now don't have the same level of timing. We kind of see that with the strikeout rate increase here. Uh, you know, 24% would be the highest strikeout percentage in MLB history. Are the pitchers ahead of the hitters? Is the ball different? It's hard to fully know. What I do know, and of course we did lose some games here to coronavirus, 913 runs were scored from July 23rd to 29th last year, 755 here this year. Yeah, we did lose a handful of games here, uh, well, three games, four, what, four games, I think, to coronavirus here. But it is hard to compare the starts of the season because you have different weather conditions. So I can't go back to March of last year and compare that to the start of this season because the weather conditions are different. It's much warmer. The ball travels a lot better in warmer, more humid air. So I can't really compare that to March. A couple of things I can look at, though. The first is that hitters are swinging a lot less often right now. In that sample size, July 23rd to 29th of 2019, hitters were swinging 47.1% of the time. In this current sample size, hitters are swinging 45.4% of the time. When you talk about the sample sizes that we're dealing with here, a percent or a percent and a half is a big difference. So hitters are still working on feeling comfortable They're still working on pitch recognition. The walk rate is, of course, up this year. So pitchers still trying to work on their control and their command, stuff like that. It's very hard to compare last July to this July. Again, because everybody's just kind of starting out here. However, what I would say is this. I do think that there is at least some level of change with the baseball. And I do think that it will hurt hitters as we go forward here. Now, again, we're talking about a lack of contact quality early on, and maybe these things do kind of even out as we go forward here. But exit velocity is down over a full mile per hour. And what the thought was, was that the core of the baseball was a little bit more compacted. And that's why the ball did have some more carry, did have some more juice to it. There were also some differences with the seams with the baseball that would that would impact you know, flight of the baseball, movement of pitches, all those types of things. So I do think a little bit here early on, the ball does look a little bit different, but I think it's too early to make a full-fledged determination just because of the spots that these hitters and these pitchers are in right now at this point in time. But again, what we do know is that scoring is down, slugging percentage is down, and we've seen a lot of first five unders coming through. A lot of people have been backing that trend out there Uh, on social media where everybody's a daily winner. Uh, But a lot of people have been playing some of that first five under stuff. We'll see what happens as we go forward here, as the pitchers get more reps, as the hitters get more reps. We'll kind of see if some of those things change. And I will try to follow that here uh, on the betters box as much as I can as we go forward. Something I thought was kind of interesting. I saw Chris Felica tweet about this and sportsbook consigliere Dave Sharapan from CG Technology, kind of getting involved in the discussion, talking about the extra innings approach and bunting. And 
this really doesn't have too much impact from a betting standpoint, but it is something I want to talk about here on today's show. Now, it could have an impact in terms of run line wagering and totals as well, depending on how some of these teams decide to play this. But in 2019, based on actual outcomes, with a runner on second base and nobody out, teams scored, with starting with that scenario, 40.48% of the time. Now, with a runner on third base and one out, teams scored 65% of the time, at least one run in that situation. Now, here's the thing, right? So, obviously, you go from 40.48% with a runner on second, nobody out, to 65% with a runner on third and one out. So, it does increase your chances of scoring at least one run. That is something that a bunt or a productive out or whatever you want to call it can do now when you look at run expectancy with a runner on second and nobody out the average run expectancy based on those outcomes last year 1.15 runs in that situation now with a runner on third and one out 0.95 runs is the expectation in that particular scenario so you increase your chances of scoring one run but you decrease your chance of scoring multiple runs. Now, with a runner on third and two outs, you score 25.2% of the time. So if that guy with one out doesn't get the job done and you've already given up an out to bunt the guy over, well, now with two outs and a runner on third, your chances are not particularly good. Three out of four times, you're going to fail to drive that run in. So for me personally, I strongly dislike giving up outs. I don't want to play for one run when one run might not be good enough. And, you know, in this run environment right now, you know, maybe one run is good enough because guys aren't hitting for as much power. Strikeouts are a little bit more prevalent than usual. And obviously it's dependent on who's at the plate. You know, if you've got a guy that's probably not going to drive a ball somewhere, maybe you bunt with that guy. Or if you've got a difficult pitching matchup, something like that, maybe you bunt with that guy. For me, I don't like giving up outs. You know, they're, First of all, when people talk about sacrifice bunting, they just sit there and expect it to work 100% of the time. And that's not always the case. You know, you may fall off two bunts and then strike out because you're down 0-2. You may get that bunt down, but get your guy thrown out at third. Sacrifice bunts are not 100%. And people treat them like they are, and it pisses me off. The only thing a sacrifice bunt really achieves is giving up and out a very high percentage of the time. A guy may try to bunt twice, fail, and then get a hit with two strikes, but those are pretty rare situations. To me, I just don't think it's worth it to give up and out or put yourself in a very negative count by trying to get a bunt down. And again, you could get that guy thrown out at third. And the rule right now in Major League Baseball with this runner on second is that the guy who made the last out in the ninth inning winds up being your your runner at second. So teams, and the Indians had to do this, it was Roberto Perez, they had to take Perez out of the game. And if you don't score, and if you continue going extra innings, you know, are you going to take a really good hitter out to run them at second base? That's a tough decision that you have to make. So there is no 100% foolproof answer to how to handle this extra inning situation. Look, if you're in the bottom half of the inning, and you only need one run, that's different. In the top half of the inning, you want one run so you can put the pressure on the other team, play from in front, all that type of thing. 
But one run may not be enough. You may want to play for multiple runs. So there is some strategy involved here a little bit. I don't like the idea that you can score a run without a hit. I think you should be a runner on first. And then you get to decide, do I want to bunt him into scoring position? Do I want to try to steal a base, especially with a pinch runner that should be pretty fast? You know, I think there's more strategy involved putting a runner on first. Also, you could hit into a double play, and there's the end of your rally right there. So to me, that would be the approach I would go with as a runner on first uh, going forward with this rule. But as far as bunting goes, I don't love the idea unless you're the team batting in the bottom half and you've got a bad matchup and you only need one run to win. Then I think it makes sense. I don't think I would bunt a whole lot as a visiting team. And we'll see how this plays out. We'll see how the managers opt to deal with this situation. Uh, But for me, I'm not excited to give up outs. So, you know, that's just sort of my take on the whole situation. And of course, we'll see how this plays out not just from a win-loss standpoint based on the strategy, but from a betting standpoint as well. Handful of series I want to touch on here that uh, were just wrapped up or are wrapping up today. How about the Colorado Rockies taking two from the Oakland A's? The Rockies off to a strong 4-1 and one start. And not only that, but on the road. You know, you would think, and maybe this is something I should have thought about a little bit more going into this format, The Rockies have an advantage at home because they're used to those conditions. And with summer camp and all those types of things, you know, the Rockies were playing at home. They were getting accustomed to those conditions at home with how the ball travels, how the ball spins, pitchers getting a little bit of a leg up on their control and their command. Then they go out on the road where maybe I thought the negative course field effect could come into play, and it didn't. And they wind up going 4-1 and on this road trip here. The A's, they lost the fall to three and three. And, you know, for the Rockies here, I mean, this is exactly what you want, you know, because now all of a sudden you've given yourself a little bit of margin for error by going four and one in your first five games. And to do so on the road, especially when David Dahl, Nolan Arenado, and Charlie Blackman are off to slow starts, that is huge. Great road starts for Herman Marquez. That's not necessarily a big surprise. He's been very good on the road throughout his career. Seven innings pitched, one earned run from the Rockies bullpen here in this series. And I don't love the Rockies bullpen, but they're figuring this out as they go. Colorado, very impressive here to start the season. The A's, again, they're three and three, and they were three and one in that series against the Angels. But they only had 13 hits in this series off of Rockies pitching, and only two of them, four extra bases. That is not going to get it done, especially in this condensed format. The A's need to get those bats going. Maybe it helps to get away from home and get away from Oakland Coliseum, but to only have two extra base hits against the Rockies pitchers in this little two-game series, not a great look for Oakland as far as I'm concerned. The Angels and the Mariners, they play the finale of that series here today, but they split the first two games The Angels got Anthony Rendon back for the start of this series. They've scored 17 runs in two games with him in the lineup. Now, of course, the caveat here, it did come off of Seattle pitching, and Seattle does not have a great pitching staff. Rendon only has one hit. It was a two-run homer, but he's also drawn four walks. And this is something for the Angels where their pitching looks pretty decent. Andrew Heaney turned in a pretty decent five innings. Uh, Dylan Bundy looked great in his first start. We'll see how he looks today. Griffin Canning was fantastic. The Angels need some offense, and if they get it, 
this is a team I think can make a playoff push. Now, obviously, we'll see how long Trout's out there with his pregnant wife and all that kind of thing. But, you know, this Angels team, they looked the part here early on. Rendon is a big piece in the middle of the order. Even if he's not hitting, he's going into deep counts. He's walking a lot. Those are things that prolong innings, make it tougher on pitchers. Uh, I think the Angels, this is an encouraging start for them here so far. Again, playing a bad Mariners team, but an encouraging start. Being in games, getting good starts, now getting some offense with Rendon back. I like the way that they look here thus far. But a lot of bullpen issues for both teams uh, in the first two games of that series. And, you know, again, I talked about this a lot. It was a key point that I had coming into this abbreviated season. I expected starting pitcher outings to be shorter, and they have been so far. Bullpens, very, very important in this whole process. That is one worry for the Angels, one worry for several teams out there. Uh, But, you know, both bullpens kind of struggling a little bit. And you wonder, will pitchers start to work deeper into games as they get stretched out? Or will teams kind of adopt this trend in the shortened season, trying to protect that third time through and all those kinds of things? That is something that we definitely want to follow here as we go forward. Finally, the Indians took two out of three from the White Sox. And look, based on the starting pitching that the Indians have got, they should be 6-0. and They lost in the gimmicky extra innings format to the Royals. Then yesterday... I don't know what the hell Terry Francona was thinking, going to Brad Hand with a bunch of righties coming up. But he did. Hand gives up the three runs, uh, the four runs, I should say. They wind up losing the game for nothing. But, you know, the starting pitching was great. And, and that's a primary takeaway here from this series is that the Indians are only batting 231 as a team, 324 on base, 344 slugging. Another slow offensive start for this team. And, Usually they start slow. Usually you can kind of blame it on the weather in Cleveland and in cold weather cities in March and April. You can't do that here. They've faced two below average pitching staffs and they have not performed well. That is a big concern for the Indians as we go forward. A concern for the White Sox here, they are second in baseball in righty versus righty plate appearances. Now to this point, they've done pretty well in them, although they did not fare well against the Indians with Aaron Savale, uh, Adam Plutko, and Zach Plesek, they carved up the White Sox. The White Sox performed well last week in righty versus righty splits, did not this week. Right-handed pitchers with stuff will beat Chicago. They will carve that team up more often than not. So this is a big betting angle for Chicago. If they face lefties or below-average righties, they'll be good. If they face righties with any kind of stuff, any above-average right-hander, they will struggle. And they did that against the Indians here in this series. And as they face the Indians going forward, that will be something to watch. The Indians with some big bullpen worries. You know, Brad Hand does not look good. Nick Whitgren is not a guy I trust in the eighth-inning role. Uh, James Karinchak, Cam Hill, those are guys that are probably going to be pitching in high leverage sooner rather than later. Hill got the save the other day uh, in the doubleheader against the White Sox. This is going to be a tough thing for Francona. He's very loyal to his veterans, loyal to a fault, loves guys that are kind of fringy types of dudes because he was a fringy dude. His dad was a much better baseball player than he was. Terry has an affinity for guys that stick with it, even though they don't have the most talent or the greatest skill sets. So we got to see if he's willing to make these Philosophical changes in high leverage spots for the bullpen 
to this point. We haven't seen it. We'll see if we see it going here so far. But I was impressed with Rick Renteria in the doubleheader. Got Rodon out of there early. Uh, you know, Got Dylan Cease out of there early. He's trying to be aggressive with his usage, with his decision-making. And I do appreciate that. And the Indians, that may hurt them in the long run because Rocco Baldelli, very aggressive with his decision-making as well. Seemingly Renteria going to do the same. I want managers that are going to be aggressive with their decisions. Francona here to this point really hasn't been. The highest batting averages on balls in play to this point. Seattle at 331, Boston and the Mets 329, Atlanta 318, White Sox 309. The lowest, the Pirates at 209, Texas 216, Reds 228, Tigers 234, Phillies 237. Of course, they haven't played the last couple days. So the Royals 248 would be in that bottom five range. Contact quality matters, but BABIP is subject to wild variance, which is something I wanted to point out here with a team like the Mariners. They're not a good offensive team. Right now, they're surviving on a lot of balls in play, finding holes. That will not continue. So if you look at BABIP around the league, you will find some spots where some offenses will be overvalued and some will be undervalued in this small sample size just based on batted ball luck. So that's why I kind of bring that up here on today's show that you know I would expect the Rangers offense to be better. And of course, they had a late inning breakout yesterday to help us with a winner in that one. I would expect the Reds offense to be better. I would expect even the Pirates and the Tigers offenses to be better because no team is going to be that far off from the range. The worst team in Babbitt, probably going to be in the 260 range when all is said and done, maybe 250 in the shortened season. So these, uh, these substantial outliers, particularly on the low end, will see regression to the mean for them. So teams like the Pirates and the Rangers and the Reds and the Tigers and the Royals, I would expect better offensive fortunes to a degree as we go forward here, as they regress positively to the mean. We get into the down the line segment here, recapping the line moves that we saw dating back to Monday. And Monday we saw one against Anibal Sanchez and the Nationals. I believe that was Trent Thornton in that game for the Blue Jays. Sanchez is a guy. Low ERA, higher FIP, higher XFIP. The market will bet against him. Now, in 2018 and 2019, his contact management numbers were pretty good. There was a jump from 18 to 19 that does merit watching that I am going to keep an eye on here in his outings for the Nationals. So, Sanchez may ultimately be a fade guy, but one thing the market doesn't realize is that Anibal Sanchez limits hard contact against. If that changes, I'm on the fade train as well, and I will dig a lot more into his contact metrics from that Monday start uh, in his next outing. But that's one of the big things here about the betting market is that they will blindly fade those low ERA, higher FIP, higher XFIP guys, not paying any attention to the contact metrics. So we may have an edge with some of those guys here in the betting market. Maybe Sanchez is one of them, maybe not, but he is one of those guys that fits that obvious line movement with the low ERA and the higher FIP. We saw some money on the Mets and Michael Waka on Monday. Boston with an opener and Josh Osick, and then Zach Godley was the bulk guy. The market doesn't love Waka necessarily, but that was an easy spot to fade Boston and godly so that's what happened there in that one on monday and tuesday we saw very heavy fades of the pittsburgh pirates 
One with Adrian Hauser, and then one with, um, oh boy, Josh Lindblom. Now, Hauser's got great stuff, better in a relief role than a starting role. Lindblom coming over from the KBO. But what this suggests to me is that the Pirates have been isolated as maybe the worst team in baseball. I don't think there are a lot of people that necessarily love the Milwaukee Brewers. I don't think there are a lot of people that love Hauser or Lindblom. I think it was just an opportunity to play against the Pirates at some lower numbers. So keep an eye out for this. I've also seen this happen a little bit here uh, with the Seattle Mariners. So that's something you want to keep an eye on, is that some of these teams will get faded regularly until sharp betters feel like the market has adjusted. And to this point with the Pirates, we haven't really seen that buyback. We've seen one-sided line movement. And I've talked about this a lot already, that in baseball, we see a lot of scalping. We see a lot of middling. We'll see a line move one way, come back, and then wind up closing somewhere in the realm of the opening number. We haven't seen the buyback on the Pirates. And when you don't see the buyback, that's when you really want to take notice. Again, there's a lot of manipulation of the Major League Baseball betting market with scalping and middling and setups trying to move games and stuff like that. When you don't see the buyback, that's when it says a lot to me. And we have not seen the buyback for the Pirates here this week. So the Pirates are clearly isolated to me as being one of, if not the worst teams in baseball, according to the betting market. So for right now, oddsmakers haven't adjusted the Pirates low enough. When they do, you either won't see a line move or you'll see the Pirates maybe take on a little bit of money. So keep an eye out for that. Even though Pittsburgh is really, really bad, and you're not going to want to bet on them a whole lot, you may be able to play them at the peak of the market and get some decent values on them uh, if you know we don't start to see that buyback come in. Just because, you know, again, the market is a living organism. It's a very fluid and liquid type of thing where everybody is adjusting at the same time. And if the Pirates adjustments don't get made, we'll keep seeing that runaway train one-sided money. If adjustments do get made, that money will stop pouring in against the Pirates. Maybe at that point, that's when we start to see some value uh, on the Buccos. We saw a lot of money on Homer Bailey and the Minnesota Twins. And, you know, here's the thing. This came in against the Cardinals and Carlos Martinez. We also saw some money on Wednesday on the Twins as well. I talked about this a lot coming into the season that, you know, the Twins weren't getting their due. They weren't getting the attention that they deserved. A lot of people talking about the Indians, and of course their starting pitching has been great to this point. A lot of people talking about the White Sox and the World Series exposure and the young lineup and this and that. The Twins became an afterthought. And I think based on all of that conjecture and some of the futures betting action that we saw, I think the odds makers maybe undervalued the Twins coming into the season. And we've seen the Twins take a lot of money here and be successful in the process. So The Twins, and we'll see what they do here against the Indians, taking on four very good starting pitchers. But the Twins, to me, look undervalued in the market. And they've even taken money again today here on Thursday for their matchup against Shane Bieber with Jose Barrios on the mound. So the Twins have been isolated as a play-on team by the market. And I think a big part of that is because they weren't getting talked about enough in the lead-up to the season. And the odds makers didn't really account for where they should be pricing that team. 
On Wednesday, we saw some Arizona money come in. That was Madison Bumgarner uh, in that one. A lot of that was because the Twins or the the uh, Rangers, excuse me, released their lineup, and they were missing some guys. They sat some lefties against Bumgarner, who pitched well. The bullpen kind of blew it for him, uh, but Arizona did take money in that one. And Arizona's been taking a little bit of money here of late. I think the market kind of likes the Diamondbacks, even though they've underachieved to this point in time. Lucas Giolito took money against the Indians. Giolito was very good against them in 2019, very good against them in 2020. I went on a mini rant in my picks and tips article about how pitcher versus team metrics don't really matter. They seemingly mattered, according to the market there in that one, but that was more about fading Zach Plesak, who was a low ERA, higher FIP, higher XFIP guy last year. Then he went out there and struck out 11 over eight innings, was absolutely dominant. I don't think money comes in against Zach Plesak anymore, so... That's one where Plesak was a fade guy with that ERA, FIP, and XFIP thing. Now, at this point in time, I don't think he's going to be based on how good the stuff looked in that first start. Also, on Wednesday, we saw money come in on the Dodgers and Dustin May. That was against Christian Javier and the Astros, and Javier was brilliant in that start for Houston. Maybe they've got something here uh, if he throws enough strikes, but uh, the Dodgers eventually prevailed in 13 innings. We saw a little bit of a fade of Mike Soroka. Again, a low ERA, higher FIP, higher XFIP guy. These things are always going to happen. Pay attention for them. Rich Hill took some early money for the Twins. The market loves Dick Mountain. They love Rich Hill, man. Uh, you know, Anytime he's out there, he's effective. He's just not out there enough. But again, I think this was part and parcel with the fact that the Twins didn't get talked about enough coming into the season. And I think their prices have been a little bit low as a result. We saw money come in on Chris Paddock and the Padres against the Giants. I don't know if this was a Johnny Cueto fade. I don't know if this was a Chris Paddock buy. And Chris Paddock took a lot of money last year uh, in his starts. The Padres pen was not good. They blew the game. But there was a lot of Padres money that came in there, probably against Cueto. But also, I think the Giants have been isolated as one of those bad teams here as well. Finally, some pretty heavy Andrew Heaney money came in against Justin Dunn and the Mariners. Mariners getting to the Angels bullpen for the upset win in that one. But the market also seems to have isolated Seattle as a pretty bad team as well. Thursday, some early U Darvish money against the Reds and Jose Ca- or, uh, Luis Castillo. Luis Castillo took a ton of money last year. And when you get into these scenarios where these pitchers that get steamed a lot are being faded, you want to pay attention to those. Castillo took a ton of money in his first start against the Tigers, took a ton of money last year overall. Now we see Darvish taking the money here today. I don't know if the Cubs win, but that does suggest to me that somebody out there really likes the Cubs today to be confident enough to go against Luis Castillo in that one. Seeing Hunjin Ryu money for the second time this season for his start against Eric Fetty and the Nationals. I think this is the correct side. I would fade Eric Fetty as well. I am fading Eric Fetty playing the over, over nine in this game, but Ryu taking the money there, second straight start in which he's taken money for the Blue Jays. The Royals have taken some pretty ample money here today as well. Brady Singer in his second career start going up against Yvonne Nova and the Detroit Tigers. And I did take Singer. That's in my article over at bangthebook.com for today. Uh, Singer was very impressive against the Indians. And Yvonne Nova's really never all that impressive. A lot of hard contact allowed from Nova. 
I think Kansas City will fit that formula that Mike Petrello tweeted about. More barrels, more hard-hit balls. They win more games. I think that is the case here for the Royals. And quite frankly, I kind of like the Royals lineup a little bit. I like the top. They'll be even better when Hunter Dozier comes back from COVID. I like the Royals lineup a little bit. They can't pitch. But I do like the Royals lineup a little bit. And I think that they can have success against these below-average pitchers like Nova. So that's my play here for Thursday. As I mentioned, Barrios and the Twins taking money against Bieber and the Indians. Shane Bieber did allow a lot of hard contact last year. And the Twins make about as hard of contact as anybody. So I get this line move. I understand it. I don't love Barrios. Maybe the over is more of the play for me. Uh, But I do understand why money is coming in against Shane Bieber here. Finally, the Yankees taking a lot of money against John Means and the Orioles. The Orioles getting faded with regularity. That's Jay Happ going for the Yankees today. I think the Yankees will take money against every lefty. I just think that that's going to be uh, the MO of the betting market here throughout the season, that when the Yankees face a lefty, they are going to take money in that scenario. All right, so for the weekend ahead, what am I looking for here? Well, we start with Indians Twins. Bieber Barrios in the first one, Clevenger and to be determined on Friday, Carrasco and Maeda on Saturday, Savale and Bailey on Sunday. Let's see how the Indians fare against a far better offense than they've seen so far. I know everybody wants to get down on their knees, open wide for the White Sox offense. Look, the White Sox will hit for a lot of power, and they will hit for a lot of exit velocity, and they will be a good offense. But like I mentioned earlier, if you are a right-handed pitcher with stuff, with strikeout uh, strikeout potential, excuse me, you are an above-average righty, you can shut down the White Sox. The Twins hit everybody. They make a ton of hard contact. They don't strike out a lot. They walk a fair amount. They don't get buried in counts. They're a much more aggressive offense uh, because they know they can make a lot of quality contact. The Twins may have more success here against the Indians rotation than the other two teams combined, quite frankly. So we'll see how that plays out, but that is something I'm watching very closely here. I probably prefer the Minnesota bullpen a little bit. I prefer Baldelli over Francona. I do like the Twins in this series. The Indians are not hitting at all yet. I don't know if they will here in this series. They're not getting great pitching by any means. Barrios is okay. Maeda's fine. They haven't seen a whole lot of him. Bailey's not great. Indians better hit because I think the Twins are going to hit a little bit here. So that's a really interesting series to follow for a variety of different reasons. The Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. Ross Stripling, Robbie Ray in the first one. To be determined in Zach Gallon on Friday. Uh, Julio Urias and Luke Weaver on Saturday. Walker Bueller, Merrill Kelly on Sunday. The Dodgers are off to the start that they needed. The Diamondbacks are not. This is a big series for Arizona. I don't think this series says much about the Dodgers one way or another. But Arizona needs better from Robbie Ray. They need more from Zach Gallen. They need Luke Weaver to look good. I don't like their chances with Bueller and Kelly on Sunday. The Diamondbacks need to show something here in this series because they are not off to a great start here so far. Uh, Individual players have been okay. On the whole, not enough guys have been good. The bullpen is below average. The Diamondbacks need a big series here. We'll see if they get it. Padres and the Rockies, as the Rockies are at home now at Coors Field. And, of course, the Padres, you know, at home, in summer camp, at sea level, 
Now they go to elevation. How does that hurt them? How does that hurt their pitchers? Big questions for any road team that goes into Colorado here for this shortened season. Garrett Richards, John Gray, Friday. Joey Lucchese, Kyle Freeland, Saturday. Zach Davies, Antonio Senzatella on Sunday. The Padres are taking an improved lineup to Coors Field. They should, on paper, have the bullpen advantage, but Colorado's bullpen's been very good. I do think their pitching staff is overachieving a little bit to, excuse me, to this point. We'll see how they look here back at home, but I don't know if I'm going to have much interest in this series. I think these games at Coors Field are going to be tough handicaps because, you know, again, you didn't get the regular lead up to the season. Most of the NL West teams, all the NL West teams, out in Arizona, they're used to pitching in bad conditions with that. Now all of a sudden you go from throwing all of your work at Petco Park to going to Coors Field. So that's a little bit of a weird scenario, I think, really for both teams. So I don't know if I'll have any positions in this series. I'll see what Lucchese and Freeland look like on Saturday. But other than that, I don't think I'm going to have too much interest in that series. Finally, the Red Sox and Yankees. Sunday's game is the ESPN game. The Red Sox will send Ryan Weber against Mike Montgomery. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, excuse me, Zach Godley and Masahiro Tanaka, Matt Hall and James Paxton. Uh, The Red Sox could give up a ton of runs here. And, you know, I've talked about this already. I don't know how invested the Red Sox are. I don't know how much they care about this 60-game sprint with everything that's gone on over the last few months. They will show up against the Yankees, though. And I think maybe overs are the flavor in these head-to-head games. But I do wonder if the Red Sox are getting buried early, something like that, maybe some live betting opportunities, because I don't know if they show a whole lot. I don't know if they regularly show up, maybe against the Yankees, maybe against the Rays. But by and large, you know, the the returns for the Red Sox, not great here so far. I I just, I, I don't think that they're fully invested. And I think we can make a lot of money if we fade the Red Sox here for this season. I'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Betters Box. I got a question about the regular daily shows. I don't know yet. College football looks pushed back. NFL seems to be going off as scheduled. Could have done some stuff with NBA and NHL, but, you know, uh, I'm I'm just going to kind of play it by ear, sort of see when we want to set the full show back up. But uh, for right now, I'll be the Betters Box Monday, Thursday, and then Brian Blessing on Tuesdays. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.